0: Welcome to Conversations with Dr. Jennifer, a collection of interviews on the topics of relationships, sexuality, spirituality, and more, all featuring Dr. Finlayson Fife. Dr. Finlayson Fife is hosting a couple's retreat in Hillsboro, Oregon in June. Visit the link in the show notes below to find our website where you can find more information about the retreat and purchase tickets. Dr. Jennifer is also participating in the Happy Healthy Teen Summit on March 9th. A link can be found in the show notes below to get your free ticket to the virtual event. Today's episode is the audio from a recording with Momversations on the topic of relationships, specifically your marriage relationship. We hope you enjoy the episode. So joining us today is Dr. Jennifer
1: Finless of Fife. She's a relationship and sexuality educator and coach. Dr. Finlinson Fife is a licensed clinical professional counselor with a PhD in counseling and psychology. Her dissertation was on LDS women and sexuality, which is the defining relationship with our husbands. She has 16 years of clinical experience and is joining us today from her home in Chicago. Thank you and welcome, Dr. Finlinson-Fife.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: So we're excited. So you thought a lot about this. Um, Yes. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about more. Why? Why did you?
2: Well, um, you know, so I always, even as a young person, I cared a lot about human behavior. I, I studied people around me a lot, but I cared especially about marriage relationships. And I didn't realize that it was unusual, but as a young person, I thought a lot about why some people were happily married and why so many people were not. Um, cause I grew up in a faith community that really explicitly valued marriage, but I saw a lot of people around me who didn't seem very happy and I was trying to figure it out. So, um, when I went to school, I decided to study psychology and then I decided I really wanted to become a counselor and I entered into a PhD program and it was time to write my dissertation. I was at Boston college, a, a Jesuit university, and I was asked to teach, um, Undergraduates about human sexuality. And so this really made me also start thinking about the ways in which we make sense of sexuality and why so many friends of mine, who I wasn't yet married at that time, I was about to get married, but a lot of my friends were not having happy marriages. They were not having good sexual relationships. So I also really focused, I I do a lot of my work on how to help people have. Happier marriages and happier intimate relationships as well. So, you know, this was just kind of a, I don't know entirely why that was implanted in me, but I just always have cared about it. And so I do a lot of coaching and teaching, online instruction, podcasting. Um, I even have a podcast where I'm working with couples to help them address the, the conflicts or the issues that are interfering with their happiness in their emotional relationship and in their sexual relationship. And so it's just a passion of mine that I care about. And I think in part, because the quality of the marriage has so much impact on the whole family experience and how the kids experience home life. And so it's a very crucial uh, relationship to do your best with.
1: Fantastic. I, I like how you use the word conflict. You know, I've been married for 33 years um, with eight children. And sometimes there's a lot of conflict in there. Right. Yes, um, sure. and, and one of our principal talks about contact. And I, and when you think about a marriage, you know, that's usually the first thing, Ooh, you know, sexuality and some, and, and in some homes, it's been taboo to talk about, right. What's the yeah. importance of that contact?
2: Well, yeah. So I think that Right. And it depends a little bit on your upbringing, because if you grew up in a home in which you knew your parents liked each other and there was a strong affectionate relationship, you have a sense that physical contact is a positive thing. If it was, on the other hand, though, taboo or there it was associated with evil or the potential to do a lot of harm you can maybe be excited about the possibility of sexuality but when you in fact are in an intimate partnership there may be a lot more anxiety and uncertainty about being in an intimate relationship and and i mean both physically intimate but also even emotionally intimate i think a lot of times we want we think we want contact because we don't want to be alone in the world but contact whether sexual or emotional has a lot more potential for friction and fear than we realize. Like a lot of us want approval more than we want to be known.
0: Mm. So
2: we imagine I want to get married and lock somebody in who will approve of me and tell me that I'm great, but I don't know if I necessarily want to be really known or let someone in on who I am. And that can be especially true around sexuality because sexuality is so personal it's so core to who we are and it can feel frightening to really let someone in on this part of yourself especially if you haven't come to peace with it yourself
1: i like how you touched that because as moms um we sometimes don't value who we are
2: right yes
1: and and, and i think that's one of the places we start what do you think about that
2: absolutely i think you know i think a lot of women are um almost Um, almost out of habit, relate to themselves as insufficient, as not quite making it. And then they often go and enter into the courageous work of full-time parenting, but parenting doesn't have a lot of opportunities for validation and approval. You know, If you go and you work in a full-time career and you have a boss who's saying, great job on that project, and we're going to give you a pay increase, there's, there's more opportunities for a kind of economic or official acknowledgement of the hard work you've been doing. And when you're mothering, a lot of times there's a lot of invalidation. If you're actually doing right by your child, a lot of times they're not happy with you when you're doing the right thing. And, and a lot of it's just thankless work. I mean, you're doing a lot of the same things over and over and over. So if you already are somewhat inclined to think harshly or to expect high, you know, perfection or expect high ideals from yourself, it can be easy to be high, highly aware of where you're failing. And that doesn't, how to say it, we are all as human beings, as flawed human beings, as human beings in development, we are constantly imperfect. We are constantly doing things um, below what we might hope, Uh, but it can be hard to be accepting of that as being a fundamental part of being human. And it can also be hard to let your spouse in on that fact. And so you may want to keep your spouse happy or fulfill their needs, so to speak, but not necessarily want them to really, really know you if you struggle with a one-down feeling.
1: Mm-hmm. So we kind of put up a barrier between ourselves and our and, and that can affect us in our relationship yes. with our husband. Yes. So how does one overcome that? How does um for for example, and maybe this will maybe this will answer my own question? Um, my husband would come home after work after the long day. And he'd start doing the dishes or different things. And Mm -hmm. I started feeling like I am a terrible wife and mother. I don't have this done. Until one day he walked in the door and I said, you know what? I did the best I could do. And if you want to do dishes, go ahead. And he's looking at me like, what's wrong with you, right? Mm -hmm. But I had to give myself validation that I was doing my best. Absolutely. Yeah. And how does one do that? Because that's not an easy thing to come to.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I think you have to challenge it can be easy to fall into these habits of thinking, but they're not necessarily a representation of what is true or real. Like in a sense, what you're saying somewhat defensively in that example, but you are saying like, I really did do the best I could today. And it didn't include getting to the dishes, which is not surprising, right? Like you have eight children and that is so, it's just incomprehensible what that really entails to do that. But it is to kind of allow ourselves to judge ourselves more by bringing our best and tolerating all that, that isn't actually, you know, it's strange and even paradoxical sometimes that those of us that get the happiest in some ways are more able to handle that. We have limitations that we have limits on time on that. We can only prioritize some things that we must say no to other things. And in some sense, the more we can handle who we are, not, uh, not, you know, not needing to be everything for everyone, the more able we are to be at peace with ourselves. And some people think, oh, that means you'll just be sitting on the couch doing nothing if you if you start to accept yourself. But I found the opposite is true, that if you can handle that, the, the reality that you can't say yes to everything, that you can't please everyone, that you can't do everything in the world, it actually frees you up in some ways to choose what is my priority going to be, what am I gonna make matter the most? And and what will I tolerate that won't be as perfect as I might like it to be? And that actually allows us to have less perfectionistic demand on ourselves, less perfectionistic demand on our children for there to be more room to be human and to allow the most important things to matter. I love
1: that. And, and And to help that with our children and our marriage, Uh, some women may come into a relationship where their sexuality was damaged beforehand or, you know, to, to shelter themselves. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. What, what steps can a wife do to open up that honesty and be trusting of her spouse um, with something like that?
2: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, especially if there's been some kind of abuse, it can be very hard because I think the, the most typical response is to almost want to shut off sexuality as a way to protect oneself. It's kind of an instinctive response to say, I really want nothing to do with sex because sex makes me vulnerable. And I think, of course, every woman must make her own decision about how she's going to live in relationship to her body and her God-given sexuality. But uh, something that I think has been helpful for many of my clients is the idea of reclaiming what always belonged to them, even if someone took um, it from them or invaded their privacy or their disrespected their boundaries, that in some ways, it gives that abusive person more power to shut your sexuality off altogether and reject this aspect of yourself as a way of rejecting the abuse But another way to reject the abuse is to reclaim your sexuality as legitimately yours. And that doesn't mean that you have to rush into your marriage relationship and do whatever your spouse wants. That's not to claim your sexuality, but to say, this is my sexuality. It belongs to me. My body belongs to me. And I'm the driver. I'm in control of my own choices. And I think that sense of autonomy and control around sexuality of ourselves, I don't mean control of others, control of ourselves is really, really important. And it's exactly what gets um, challenged in an abusive reality. So it's very important to be able to reclaim the sense that you're the driver of your life. You're the author of your life. You're the author of who you're going to be in your marriage. And being able to keep that sense of you decide now you may choose to do things that are scary for you a little bit like to open up more to be more vulnerable to show more of who you are what helps is to remind yourself that you're the one who's going to make that decision you're the one who's deciding to expose more of how you think feel what you desire Uh, You're the one who would maybe address if there's something in the marriage that's interfering with your trust or interfering with your feeling of being loved by your spouse, that you're going to address that because you're worthy of addressing what you need or what's not working in the marriage for you in order to create a better marriage, in order to create a better sexual relationship. So I'm strongly encouraging my clients to not go into either rebellion, you know, either compliance or defiance. Don't just go along with what your spouse wants. Don't just, you know, fulfill his needs and check out. That's not going to be good for him or you, but don't be defiant either. Like I'm shutting this all off. How can I step in as a partner, claim my sexuality, claim my ability to make choices in my life. And what is it that I want to create here in my marriage, in my life that I can feel good about that can accrue to my happiness and the happiness in the marriage. So it's more active and agentic.
1: I love that. I love it. Um, you talked about conflict again. I mean, I just kind of going into that conflict, that's kind of scary to go and bring up something that is hard to talk about because, you know, it's going to ignite some kind of emotion.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Very hard. Mm-hmm. But and, and, a- and yet we can't get away from it. That's the thing. A lot of times we try to not talk about things, but then all the conflict just kind of goes underground and erodes the foundation of the marriage erodes the sexual relationship because it's there in the form of resentment. Mm-hmm. So we often think of conflict as a negative thing and contempt is, and, you know, hostility is. But conflict's a natural part of an honest relationship, and it doesn't mean it has to get ugly, but to say, no, that's not working for me, or no, this is hard for me, that's actually a mechanism that helps two people grow up and create a real marriage. And so you can disagree and still be decent. You can say this is a problem, and it actually fosters the ability to create something stronger, but you wanna keep track of how am I approaching the conflict? How am I approaching the difference? Am I doing it with an eye to solve it? Am I giving information that will help us address this or am I doing it to kind of blame or excuse myself or am I just going silent and resenting? That's also destructive even if it looks nice on the surface.
1: Yeah. And, and because of that relationship, your children feel it. And then they, yes. they see the unhealthy relationship in there.
2: That's right. That's um, right.
1: And so with that, going through that emotion, you also talk about the value. We value ourselves and we reclaim our sexuality. We reclaim yes, and, and then making room. I think that's something you've talked about too, making room for your partner. What does that look yeah.
2: like? Yeah. Well, yeah. So I think a good, you know, the thing, of course, that's different about a marriage than any other love relationship is that it is um a partnership. And it's a partnership in which you're really working out a friendship between two different people, men and women. You know, part of the attraction is you're attracted to someone who's usually quite different from you and thinks differently than you. And that's very adaptive. That gives your children a range of skills in a mother and in a father, but it also creates lots of room for conflict because you are two different people who, you know, maybe want different things or think about the world differently. And so part of growing is not resenting the fact that you married someone different than you, right? Like I had guys that I dated who liked to talk about things just like a girlfriend would right? with me, but I wasn't ever attracted to them. My husband, I was very attracted to. He's quiet, was much more introverted. And I just found him very compelling. But then when we got married, I wanted him to operate more like a girlfriend, you know, talk about my feelings, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> he was never going to be that guy. That's not who he was in the beginning. And the guys that were like that, I, I didn't find very compelling. So my point is that it's easy to resent or say, you should be like me. It's a very typical move, but to make room for your spouse and to make room for who they are is to say, no, I need to expand my heart and handle myself better and not ask this person to just come in and reinforce me, or you have to come and speak my love language or anything like that. How do I actually love and know this person as he is? and i he i can also let him know and know me also and let him know who i am but the goal in marriage is not to necessarily put the other person's needs first or to erase your needs but how do we work with our differences to create room for two people to thrive how do we thrive both as a couple as a friendship and how do we thrive individually in our lives those are the happiest marriages where you will sacrifice sometimes your more immediate comforts for the other person to be happy. And they do the same for you. But ultimately, you both thrive when you're willing and able to do that, both in the sexual realm and in the day-to-day of living and caring for each other and a family.
1: I love that because I i, I mean, 33 years of marriage, I've, I've gone through ups and downs. And some of these things we're about is like, oh, I have to make room for this, yeah. Uh, that's important to you right and it's not important to me but i can really see yeah and that makes a difference you know that um so i i really appreciate that making room uh, even the differences mm-hmm. and yeah them. um so yeah some of the other principles we we talk about um is like forgiveness and compassion trust uh, mm-hmm. those are really important in a marriage uh, sometimes uh, a spouse. You know, um, loses our trust. how mm. how do we, in a marriage, rekindle that and find that trust again?
2: Yeah, so one of the things that I talk about and it's see if I can be as efficient as I can about it, is it is important to make a distinction between uh trusting someone, forgiving them, um and, you know, how to say it, stepping back in. Because if someone has broken your trust, that they've been in some way dishonest, deceptive, uh, duplicitous, um, you you don't want to make the goal to trust them necessarily. What you want is to assess trustworthiness and to act accordingly, if that makes sense. So sometimes we want so much to trust or we want so much to see our spouse as the person we hoped he or she would be that we can go against our instincts or go blind to our spouse because we want so much to trust them. And that's not necessarily good. On the other hand, I've worked with people where the spouse really has address their behavior, is being more trustworthy, is being more honest, is being more fair. But the spouse insists on staying skeptical and distrusting, not because if you really push them, they do track a more honest and trustworthy spouse, but they want to claim the safety of continuing to feel injured or continuing to feel untrusting, not because they're tracking A situation that is wary uh, is, is in need of their wariness, but because it gives them an excuse to not step into the marriage more deeply. So this is kind of my long way of saying you want to be as honest with yourself as you can in assessing trustworthiness. And if it's not there to stay in conversation about what you see and about what you track, and to keep looking for information that will help you understand what is happening. If you do track a spouse who's honest, who is straightforward, who is being fair, then you have to push yourself perhaps on your desire to keep skepticism as a kind of comfortable uh, loophole in the marriage, a way out of stepping into it and trusting someone who is trustworthy.
1: That that is awesome. Uh, And this half hour is just like flown by way too fast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, um, uh, just for those who know, we um, are going to finish this up here in five minutes and we're going to take a, uh, stop, um, this portion of it. And then we'll have a question and answer where we can talk. So Mm -hmm. let's go ahead and you just tell us really quick, um, about your finlinson and Fife.com, your art of desire. Sure.
2: So finlaysonfife.com, that's my last name, um, Finlayson Fife. And so on my website, I have a lot of resources for helping people, uh, to address their emotional and sexual relationships. And some of that is their relationship to themselves. Um, so I have a course called the art of desire, which is a course for women to develop a stronger sense of self It addresses perfectionism, overcoming this sort of judgmental harshness, this need to keep everyone happy with us. And how do we become women who are more happy with ourselves in an honest way, who are developing uh, our own gifts, our own capacities in a way that makes us more at peace with ourselves, better mothers, really more able to love our children But also more at peace with our sexuality, with our sensuality, with our desirability and our ability to create a more intimate relationship with our spouse. So that's that course. And it's um, so it's a self and sexual development course that is self paced and has also office hours where you can ask me questions about it, about any of the content.
1: That's awesome. So uh, we encourage you all to go ahead. And if you're interested in more information, go to fife.com. And we want to remind you to go ahead and write it down in your smile journal, what you learned today and um, keep track and set a goal of uh, what's your action, what do you want to do to improve your relationship with your husband? Hopefully you've taken something from today and we want to thank you this half hour has gone so fast we're a delightful time we've had you during this conversation. thank you dr finlinson fife so much for joining us and sharing such valuable insight about our relationships with our husband and thank you for joining us and gaining such valuable information um So, be again to join us next week, same time, mom time, same mom channel here on the Win Win Women's Network. Our guest will be Shirley Griffiths from My Discovery Destination, helping us have better relationships with our children. And, and uh, just remind you to empower and elevate your mothering experience. Uh, join us at www.mamavate.org. And. Um, if you would like to be a guest on our conversation, uh, you can apply on our guest by visiting the website. So, just to finish up here, we got another minute or two. Do you have last um, some topics you would like to finish up for another minute?
2: Uh, f- for me, anything to say? Um yeah. Let me think. Um. Well, I think something that can be helpful, I think it's really easy to feel like when we're having struggles in our marriage, that it's an indication that there's something wrong with us or wrong with the marriage, rather than the, the struggle in a relationship is fundamental to our growth as people. So a marriage exposes your limitations and you can resent that exposure Or you can utilize it to see where you're limited and to keep growing. I think the more that you can actually normalize that process, the easier it is or the better it is. Because if you're working under some idea that there's something fundamentally flawed about us, I think that's a very unhelpful idea and just simply isn't true. Human beings, it takes time to learn how to share a life with someone it takes time to learn how to really love another person. It takes time to learn to accept ourselves. Um, There's some research that shows like women have the best sex in their 40s. Part of it is because women start to become more okay with themselves in their 40s. Mm. A friend of mine said, like when I was in my 20s, I was always obsessed with what everybody thought about me. And then in my 30s, I kept trying to tell myself not to care what people think about me, and then by my 40s, I realized nobody was thinking about me anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Reality
2: <laughs> it's it's not Chris. center stage, <laughs> so true. And so, I think you know, a lot of times that it, in our 40s, we're starting to be more okay with just our human state in 50s, which I'm in now. It's even better, it's even easier yeah. to kind of just realize, you know, we're all in this together, we're all very human, we're flawed, we're limited, but that is okay. And just allowing ourselves to keep learning, keep taking another step at a time, that's what helps us be better people, better parents, and better partners. Fantastic. Again,
1: thank you again, and
0: we'll see you in just a second. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, we ask that you please rate, review, and share the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from Dr. Jennifer's work.